As we come again before the very Word of God, if you'd like to read along with me, we'll be in the second letter of John. That's not the Gospel of John. These are the letters of John, John's second letter. And you'll see there are no chapters here. It's just one collection of verses, and we'll read the entirety of the letter today. Uh, But before we read, would you please pray with me? Lord, uh, we know that your word is true and pure. These things are like silver refined in fire seven times. And so, Lord, now before your pure word, would you help us to draw near that your truth would abide in us. As we hear and receive these things by your Spirit, would you keep us and guard us in righteousness? You are God, and we trust you. We ask your help always in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the second letter of John. I'll begin in verse 1 and read through the end of the letter. So this is 2 John, beginning in verse 1. The elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who did not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. This is the word of God. Now, for some months, we've been hearing the word of God through the writings of John. 
in all of that time, if you've been with us, you've probably gotten accustomed to John's regular patterns of speech and the frequent themes that he returns to again and again and again and again. Some of what we read here in 2 John probably already sounds familiar from 1 John, the way he repeats some of the core things like love and truth and obedience. And even though we've heard John speak about those things many times before, he has a unique purpose in writing this letter here. Uh, there's a focus here that John hasn't dealt with, at least not as deeply in his other, other letters. Each of the letters of 2nd and 3rd John is written in a different context. So 2nd John here, you can hear from the beginning, is addressed to someone called the elect lady and her children. We don't know exactly who that is. Uh, is that the elect lady? Does that refer to a particular woman, a particular family, or perhaps a particular church? There's been some debate about that. I think he's writing to a church, which he calls the elect lady and her children. Uh, but it doesn't make a whole lot of difference to us either way. We don't have to identify her. In 3 John, the letter that we'll, we'll take up next week, we get a specific name. John's writing to a man, a particular friend, a fellow leader named Gaius. But in each of these letters, John is giving these people that he writes to opposite guidance on the same subject. So in both the letters of 2nd and 3rd John, in both of them, he's writing about the subject of hospitality. He's writing on hospitality, that is, how and when to host people who are traveling through. But the guidance he gives about hospitality goes in opposite directions. In 3rd John, he says, you open that door. Bring people right on in. Here, however, in 2nd John, he says, you close that door and keep people out. So within the context of hospitality, there are times when particular people ought to be received, but there are also times where particular people ought to be refused. And we need to keep both of those things in mind. They help balance each other out so we don't get off, off track. But we're not going to take up both of those subjects today. We're going to keep the two letters separate into two separate sermons. So next week, Lord willing, uh, we'll look at the open door in 3 John. But today we're going to take up what we have here in, in 2 John to take a good look at the closed door of hospitality. So we're going to ask a bunch of observation questions about these, the, the classic who, what, when, where, why, all of those to help us understand what's going on, and then dive into some implications of this for our lives now. So let's not dally. We'll dive right in with some observation questions. First, who? So on whom do we close the door? Specifically, John names the who as anyone who does not bring the teaching of Jesus. It's in verse 10. I'll read it again. 
If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him. So even in just this short letter, there's other ways John describes these people. Uh, They're one of the many deceivers, he says. They're of the Antichrist, which is not just a single satanic figure. These are all who are actively opposing Jesus. These are people who do not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh, who do not abide in Christ, but they go on ahead. And he's clear then, that we are not just closing the door on anybody who's not a Christian. Okay? That's not what the Scripture teaches us. Christians are not meant to sit in a little corner and isolate ourselves from anyone who does not believe exactly the same way we do. Okay? He's here talking about those who are actively anti-Christian teachers. People who intend to bring a spiritual teaching, but of a different Jesus. And teachers of this sort were pretty common in that day. Travelers would move around here and there just like we do, uh, but, but as people traveled, they often had to, to bend, depend on the care of strangers to, to get around. It's not as easy to, to hit up a hotel or an Airbnb, so they would have to stay in homes, often of people that they don't know. And so they would come to a house and knock on the door and ask for housing. And and John says here, if a traveler comes to you then with a teaching other than Christ's teaching, and they ask you for a meal, for a bed, and for a listening ear, you close that door. So that's who, those who bring a teaching other than that of Jesus. Now, what are we to do? I've called it close the door. But that's a summary of two commands that are bundled together. You can see those commands in verse 10. Again, if anyone comes to you and doesn't bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Don't receive him and don't greet him. Now, that doesn't tell us we have to be aggressive about this or nasty or mean when we do it. We don't have to slam the door in someone's face, just close the door. And what John does tell us is that we're not to even casually engage, avoid even a greeting and a simple hello. You know, there was a time, uh, I won't name the particular company, but there was a particular vacuum cleaner company in Minnesota, if you want to Google it, you can, where the policy of this company for their door-to-door vacuum salesmen was that the salesmen were to never willingly leave a home without a sale. That was the policy. You stay there until you get the sale. Do not take no for an answer, which means they had to stay until the homeowner either bought a vacuum or called the police. That's a terrible, creepy approach to sales, but that happened. And the same thing that happens selling vacuums can also happen in the selling of teachings. So we don't even give a greeting, 
Paul warns us, John's not the only one to talk about this, Paul warns of a similar sort of thing when he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter uh, 3, where is it, let me find it, verse 6, he says, avoid such people for among them are ones who creep into households and capture weak women. Yikes. So to avoid this, it doesn't mean just don't invite them in. It's don't engage with them at all. Don't receive them. Don't even greet them. Just close the door. Now, that's the what. What about when? This is not sometime in some distant future, in some arbitrary last days before Jesus returns. These are things that are happening now at the time that John has written. And then when we look at where, the question of where this is happening, it's in your house, in your physical dwelling. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you and doesn't bring this teaching, don't receive him into your house. The goal here isn't just to keep these teachers out of society. We can't do that, even if we wanted to. They're already there. Many have gone out into the world bringing all sorts of wild teaching. You can't keep them out of society, but you can keep them out of your house. You know, some Christians have gotten so fixated obsessed sometimes even on, on fighting crusades out there against whatever we think is godless in the world, in our schools, in our government, in our streets, so busy doing all of that that we've left the doors of our own houses hanging wide open so that anything can just waltz on in and out as they please, and they do. That doesn't mean we care nothing, of course, about society at large. We do. We want the kingdom of heaven to come to all the kingdoms of the earth. But we cannot engage with society at the expense of our own families. We need to tend to our own homes first. Paul writes again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says this, verse 11. We urge you, brothers, to more and more aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders. Do not neglect your own home. Of all the thousands of millions of billions of doors in all the world, don't forget to close your door. That's where this is happening, in your house. Now, why? Why, is the, why are we to do this? The reason why we're to close our doors is, 
is not because hosting is an inconvenience. It's not because I'm going to have to put some extra water in the soup or because I'll have to actually clean behind that spot on the toilet that I haven't gotten to in a very, very long time. The reason why we're to not host these people is because to do so would be participation in wickedness. That's what John says, verse 11. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. To host an active deceiver at your home is to some degree to host their deception. And it would turn your house into a house of lies. You cannot just say, oh, I'm just, I'm just giving them a place to stop and rest. I don't agree with what they're saying. You know, what they do in their time is their own business. I'm not really part of it. It does not work that way. You know, if a stranger were robbing the bank and happened to climb in your car as the getaway car and you drive, that makes you an accomplice. By hosting them, you are their partner in crime. You are liable to conviction, even to jail time for such things, which means if a stranger teaches a false Christ and you host that traveler, you are an accomplice to them and a partner in their evil. You can't stop a person from spreading what's untrue about God, but you can at least remove the opportunity for them to stay. And we can avoid participating in their wickedness by by just closing the door. Now, before we get to the implications of this, there's one final question here, which is how? How do we do this? I mean, I know how to open and close doors, right? But is there anything more to this? You know, other than the commands to, to not receive them and not greet them, there's only one other command in the whole letter. If you were to read through, in fact, if you're quick and you're looking down, you could probably beat me to the punch here. There's only one other command in this letter that would help us to answer the question of how. And it's in verse 8. The command is this. Watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. Which means, knowing how to wisely close doors requires a wise measure of watchfulness, but it matters what we're watching. If you are constantly on the lookout to try to spot deceivers outside, you're still likely to miss at least a few of them. That kind of vigilance is going to wear you out with worry and suspicion of everybody. The Christian who trusts God is not designed to be a perpetual surveillance camera. That's not our work. The main focus of our watch is not 
outside of the house, but inside the house. To watch ourselves. Which means that the best way to know how to keep your door is not to stress about the bad teaching of the visitors, but to just abide in the good teaching of Jesus. If you are feeding on a regular diet of truth, you'll be able to smell a fake a mile away. You will. And and the good news is that John is rejoicing about that. He is not distraught here as he writes. He says, many in the church are already abiding in Jesus. I'm so thrilled he's writing to encourage them to keep doing that, to keep seeking obedience to God's commands, to, to keep staying engaged in the life and love of the church family. So in the, in the fellowship of believers, they'd share in, in prayer and service and in scripture, they would keep listening to the counsel of faithful elders that they can talk with face to face, that they would depend always, always on the grace, mercy, and peace of God the Father and of Christ his Son. And by doing all of that, You are watching yourselves. And by watching yourselves, you'll know how to close the door. Now, those are the observations about what's happening here, at least in John's day. What about us? What are the implications here for us? Because... John's context in the first century is pretty obviously quite a bit different from ours. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's been a while since a traveling religious teacher has ever come knocking on my door asking me to host. And I don't just think that's because I live in a house right next to a church. That's just not a thing that happens anymore. Maybe some traveling Mormon missionaries sometimes still move around, but even that's changing too. Some of the days of door-to-door sales for anything, vacuums or, or doctrines, those seem to be gone. So does this even still matter? Yes, it does. It does. We are still faced with similar, at least, issues of hospitality, of hosting strangers. It just looks different than it used to. Most of the people that we host don't come through our doors anymore. They come through our walls. Most of the people we are hosting are in some way in our house through wires and airwaves, through screens and earbuds. And there are many people whom none of us have ever met that still have an assigned seat in our houses. These are people that we come to feel familiar with. We feel like we know them. Sometimes we even may see some of these folks as as close friends or family. Think for just a moment about all the voices that are in your home other than the physical bodies. What are the voices that you're hearing? Probably at least some celebrities, TV hosts, 
politicians, athletes, authors, podcasters, musicians, news reporters, pundits. And of all of those voices, there may be some of them whom you are engaging with on a daily basis. Some that you hear more of their voice than you hear of anyone else's voice. These people have never set foot in our doorways, but we've welcomed them to live in our homes. And maybe some of these folks are fine and good. I hope they are. But maybe not. And we ought to at least consider who it is that we're hosting and, more importantly, what they have brought into our homes with them. There are things that we have mindlessly let sleep in our beds with us. And that can be really damaging to us. It may even bring us to lose what we've worked for, says John. And for some of these, we need to close the door. I guess close the wall, unplug, so that they're no longer received in. Now, I know that if we were to actually take that seriously, that doing that is difficult in its own way. We know this. However, as difficult as that may be, there's still an experience of our workings with this that's different from what John's talking about. There's still something here from John that I don't want us to miss, but it matters for us. Let me give you an example. Let's say, just for the sake of argument, let's say that I feel some conviction from the Spirit of God over the course of time that some particular, I don't know, political critic who talks a lot, who I listen, have listened to a lot, some particular person is it's just not good for, for me to have them in my house. Even if what they're saying is true, what they're saying is not stirring up holiness in me or in my home, but it's just feeding anger and fear and sin. So as a household, we decide to close the door on that person. Uh, we're not going to watch their show. We're not going to listen to their channel. We're going to unfollow, however that works. But we're just not going to receive them into our house. We're not going to give them any greeting anymore. If we did that, that would absolutely change some things in my house. But it would have zero impact for the critic for the one who's been talking. Even if he has been uninvited, disinvited, ushered out of my house, he doesn't know that because he doesn't even know that I exist. I'm on the other side of a screen for him. Our interaction has been entirely impersonal. And that is very different from a context like John's where these people are going around knocking 
on physical doors that I can feel, see, hear, and then I have to look them in the eyes as I close the door in their face. Now, for some people, the thought of closing the door in somebody's face might be no big deal. Either because you like rejecting people, which you should take a hard look at that if that's the case, because you like rejecting people, or because it just doesn't bother you to do that. That's a unique skill. But for many people, the thought of having to close a physical door on a person makes us cringe. You might feel bad about it. You know, to reject a person in that way feels wrong, feels unchristian, feels so impolite. And we need to see that politeness is not a virtue in the Bible. Politeness is not a virtue. No one in all of the scripture is ever praised by God for being polite. It's not one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not be impolite. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit, but politeness isn't. Politeness is not a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of a desire to just get along. Politeness is the way that we keep peace, sort of, and avoid conflict. So not only is politeness not a virtue, there's times where it can be a vice, where it can be sin that is damaging to us. An always polite person cannot walk as Jesus walked. Jesus, at times, ignored people, dismissed their expectations of him, and moved on. Jesus, at times, criticized certain people, calling them snakes and dogs and pigs. Jesus told his followers at times they were supposed to shake the dust off of their feet when they leave certain houses and towns. And while Jesus opened the door to lots of unclean and uncivilized people of society, he closed the door right in the face of a bunch of self-righteous religious people. Now, in this, Jesus is not trying to be controversial or shocking or, or rude. That's not his purpose. He's not about that. Jesus is just a person of true love. And by his grace, we want to be people of love, too. We know that love is patient and kind. It's not arrogant or rude. But love is also not just polite. It is not just nice. It is not just sharing all we have with all the people all the time. If we are to ever close a door on a person, 
and not receive them into our house and not give them an, uh, a greeting, when we do that, it can and should be a product of love. Those closed doors are not, in, hopefully, because we're embarrassed or greedy or selfish, but because we love. We close doors to show love for each other. It's a way we help protect truth for one another. But it's also a show of love for God. That we seek to walk according to his ways. We don't want to bring ourselves to become part of any wicked works that might come to our threshold. So there are times where we close the door out of love for Jesus. Pray with me. Lord, would you help us to be mindful of this and to do it? Jesus, you call yourself the door, the gate for the sheep. Would you help us to abide in you and to watch ourselves? Would you cause our love to be genuine, that we would abhor evil and hold fast to what is good, not out of fear, but out of honor for your name? Bring us as individuals and as a community to follow you in this. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.